Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to keep up with the 24-hour news cycle anymore. If you blink, you might miss it, but this week was a doozy with social justice winning at home and abroad. With police in Ontario refusing to follow the provincial government's orders to randomly stop cars, our federal government tabling a budget that women across the country rejoiced over, and a guilty conviction on all three counts for the murderer of George Floyd. So despite the snow in Ontario and the still-increasing COVID numbers across the country, this week felt hopeful. And hope is what I work hard to bring you every week here at What She Said. And today's guests bring the action, starting with Agnes Wainman, who would like you to let go of all your expectations in life because they are holding you back and down. Agnes is obsessed with expectations and how they affect our lives, and even coined the phrase expectation discrepancy syndrome. Full disclosure, I'm a little obsessed with Agnes now after speaking with her, and I'm sure you will be too. What happens when a woman tables a federal budget? How about a budget that makes sense? Alison Venditti from Moms at Work joins me to break down what Christian Freeland delivered this week and why it's so important. Considering Anne Brody typically watches over 60 movies and shows a week, I love seeing her act like a kid when she really loves something. And this week, Anne is loving The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, Plus, which just keeps getting better and better, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus dropping into the MCU mix. She also says we absolutely cannot miss Stowaway on Amazon Prime Video, which presents us with a gut-wrenching moral quandary in a beautifully crafted four-person character study. Plus, enough to keep you going as stay-at-home and social restrictions continue. Dating is hard. Dating in a pandemic is especially difficult. Thankfully, we have a coach. Canada's dating coach, in fact. Chantal Hyde's counterculture approach to dating is gaining traction as she teaches women how to use a see-where-it-goes, kiss-the-right-one approach instead of today's kiss-then-see-how-it-goes method that's causing so many unhappy relationships and breakups. School is beginning to feel a little like a revolving door lately, with a now-you're-in-now-you're-out approach, and frankly, no return to normalcy on the horizon for 2021. So I reached out to the always calming Stephanie Sewell for her best tips on dealing with the education roller coaster. Finally, fitness should be accessible to all, not just those that can afford fancy stationary bikes and monthly memberships, which is why Sharon DeVellis' business, Reflective Fitness, may turn the industry on its head with her pay-what-you-can model. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Aside 
aside from our social lives and our skinny jeans, my next guest would like you to shake something else from your life right now, your expectations. Dr. Agnes Weinman is obsessed with expectations and how they impact our lives. After completing her PhD in clinical psychology, she began a private practice where she began seeing overwhelmed, worried women as her primary client group. She began noticing a pattern. Regardless of her clients' achievements, they were constantly feeling that they were not living up to expectations. She coined the term expectation discrepancy syndrome and joins me now to discuss what that is exactly and how to deal with it. Welcome to the show, Agnes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea how much this uh, resonated with me when I was reading through I feel like this might be the crux of everything that is going on in my own life right now are the expectations. So what is uh, expectation discrepancy syndrome? So this is a term I coined after about a decade of seeing hundreds of women in my private practice, regardless of what they came in for whether it was anxiety, whether it was coping with fertility, whether it was the relationships, they always had sometimes really bizarre to me expectations about how they should be feeling, how they should be acting. And they would literally like ask me like, should I be feeling this way? And the more I started picking up on that, I was like, hold on a second. What's happening for so many of these women is there's a gap between their expectations and their reality. And in that gap, there's shame, there's judgment, and there's feeling like you're not enough. And a lot of expectations that are placed on us you know, they come from sort of the cultural norms or societal Mm -hmm. norms that are out there. You know, uh, I mean, just picking cherry picking one, for example, is, you know, when you should have a baby, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, women hit that, that certain time and they think, oh my gosh, like if I don't have a kid. And so is that what we're, you're sort of um, talking about are these kinds of things that society and our culture puts on us? Absolutely. So that society and culture is a huge source of expectation The interesting thing that happens, though, is we start to think that these expectations are actually our own internal expectations because we just breathe them in from the moment we're born. And before we started recording, we were talking about how they're actually placed on us before we're born, you know, depending on our parents' life experiences, our birth order, whether we're a surprise or whether we're planned. Right down to our gender. (laughs) Absolutely. So before we take our first breath, there's already these expectations placed on us and we internalize them. And then, you know, we're handed this checklist, this life checklist of things that we're supposed to do. And we don't take a lot of time to say like, Hey, is this actually aligned with how I want to live my life? I, I can hear the nodding happening out and people <laughs> listening to this conversation right now. So I think we've clearly established uh, what this is. Now let's talk about how we get rid of them. First of all, we have to start with awareness because this is, we can't change what we are not aware of. 
So first of all, when we start feeling that not enoughness, that judgment, that inner self-critic, that's usually a sign that we might be experiencing that gap between our expectations and reality. And often, particularly as women, we try to change the reality rather than the expectation. So if I don't fit the expectation that I need to be a size six, then I'm going to like diet and exercise and beat myself up. So women have this tendency to constantly try to change the reality, whereas like maybe it's the expectation that needs to be changed. The first question we need to ask ourselves is what expectation am I trying to meet here? And secondly, where did that expectation come from? And because I've worked with hundreds of women, I know the initial response is, oh no, it's, it's just me. I only expect this of myself, which I very gently push back on and say like, probably not. No one comes into this life feeling that they have to have like Pinterest worthy birthday parties for their children. <laughs> or that they have to have the, the white living room or, you know, I mean, I think I feel, I don't know if you've addressed this, but I feel like social media is put, puts so much expectations on people to have these perfectly curated lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I am so, so thankful that I grew up when our lives weren't fully on social media and entered this way of living kind of in my twenties and thirties, but it's still, it's so hard because again, yeah, everyone puts their highlights and then we're just, you know, comparing. And also it's helping us create expectations. It's like, oh, well, my neighbor, again, she bakes a hundred cupcakes for, you know, when we used to have bake sales. (laughs) So I need to do that as well. So again, going back to, we have to identify the expectation, identify where that expectation comes from, And then decide, does this expectation actually align with my values? Does it align with the type of person I want to be? Does this align with the type of life I want to live? And if you're like many of my clients, you may actually not know what those things are because we've been so inundated with other expectations. So this does require a bit of (laughs) pre-work as to what, how do you want to be living your life? I feel like it's probably an ongoing uh, job really, because it's not, I, I think about just expectations in my own life right now. And I could probably, if I sat down and spent maybe 15 minutes, I could probably rhyme off about 50 that I put on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it probably is an ongoing job, but I love that at least the recognition of it makes you start to be aware of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once you've identified the expectation, figured out where it comes from, have decided whether it's in alignment, then you have a decision to make. And there's three options. You either keep it, you tweak it, or you screw it. And so there's expectations that we probably should keep. The 
example I use for my own life is I, I, I expect myself to eat the occasional fruit and vegetable or, you know, you know, and sometimes that doesn't happen. (laughs) So I do need to change my reality. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) You know, there's expectations that, you know, for the most part, they're in alignment, but maybe it just doesn't work for our specific situation or for the specific time period, you know, during this pandemic, we've tried to meet pre-pandemic expectations, whereas we need to maybe tweak them a little bit because we're undergoing a worldwide crisis. (laughs) I just want to say, absolutely. I I, want to say that that's also with our children. Yeah. Expectations of anything has to be changed, right? In, In terms of timelines for school or any of that stuff. Like it's just, you know, those need to be adjusted. So we don't, we don't have much more time left. I imagine there's a lot of freedom when you're, when your clients actually say, screw it to the expectations. Um, But I want people to be able to connect with you, Agnes, because I think this is mind blowing. I think it's going to change a lot of lives. So where can people find you? Uh, How can they reach out to you? Share, share, share everywhere they can. Sure. So they can find me on my website, which is agneswainman.com. I do speaking about this. So if you have an organization group who may benefit from hearing about this and find me on Instagram at screw expectations, <laughs> perhaps my favorite handle ever on Instagram. Now, thank you so much, Agnes. This was absolutely wonderful. Um, I love this and I hope lots of people uh, find you. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Oh no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beams The way you sing off key What happens when a woman tables a federal budget? A lot of very good things. Joining me now to break down this historic budget put forth by Christian Freeland is Allison Venditti, HR professional, career coach, mother of three, and advocate for pay transparency and working mothers. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hi, nice to be here. So this is exciting. I mean, I, I almost, you could almost hear a collective rejoicing across the country. So let's talk about this. Uh, the most exciting one being childcare. It's huge. This is something that, you know, the best quote was that from uh, Christian Friedland herself, where this is something that, you know, has been talked about since she was two years old. And now it's finally coming to fruition. And I think, you know, putting $30 billion behind it is like they're they're putting their money where their mouth is for the first time in a very long time. Um, So and and the the speed at which they're talking about it. So having to cut, you know, cut fees by 50% by next year, uh, that I was not expecting. But I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's it is super exciting to see this happening uh, for moms across the country. Because what does this mean then? Because we talk about a circular economy. So let's talk about what that means. So the circular economy, when I look at it, and I think people, you know, people are like, well, this is only something that parents want or moms want. I said, when you give women the ability to engage in the workforce, 
Uh, lots of women have left the workforce because of lack of childcare, the sheer expense of childcare, uh, lack of options for childcare. You know, when you have women coming back into the workforce in all sorts of places, coffee shops, part-time jobs, uh, anything, your community looks different, right? When your community is, um, the community jobs are being held by community members, it looks different. And then you know what comes from that? Taxes. So if I work, now I'm paying taxes. So it all comes full circle. And the other big part about childcare is like, this is jobs for women too. So with this kind of budget, we're hoping that these will now become good paying jobs for women. So for me, it's like a win, 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 win uh, all over the place because of this sort of like care economy that it goes with. Okay, so let's move on to violence against women then, because there is there's room in the budget for this. And I think this one's really important. I had a guest on recently and we were talking about violence against women. We've been talking about this forever. And this is one of those things also that despite our nonstop talking about it, I'm putting this in quotes, nothing has changed. So what are we seeing with this budget? It puts back into place things that our like that the Ford government rolled back. So they pulled out money from the shelter system, from legal aid, from you know all the things that were in place to protect women and children, even like the office to protect foster children for crying out loud. And like consistently the feds have rolled in and just sort of quietly saved this. Now they're taking public ownership of it and saying, you know what, this is, this is wrong. Here's the money for it. Let's fix it. And so like, you know, there's pages on it in the budget, which I am just you know, we've been screaming for it for a long time. And it is because of the pandemic, it has become a really, really significant uh, problem for a lot of women who are stuck at home with abusive partners. Because of the pandemic, also long term care is a big issue. And that is also in the budget. I mean, honestly, this is just such a wonderful win for women. But let's talk about long term care. Well, this is a this is a caregiving budget. This is recognition for caregiving. And what we have seen was that the absolute horrific things that happened in long-term care, which they've been sounding the alarm bells for before our provincial government had rolled back, you know, quality checks, um, investigations, all sorts of things in long-term care and people, and, and people died because of it. So again, once again, the feds have stepped in and been like, Hey, we're prioritizing this. And by the way, here's several billion dollars to help fix this system, which very, very quickly needs to be fixed. It's shameful what happened in our long-term long-term care facilities. Uh, So it's good that they recognize this in the budget. Um, So overall then, um, you know, anything else in the budget that's really stood out to you? Uh, $16 billion for uh, water for indigenous communities. Thank you. Right. Like, like (laughs) just finally, the fact that it took this long is, is horrifying, but -hmm. it's in there. Uh, And, and I think that in itself is like, this is, this is a program designed to support the people who need it most, right? Those are the people who are being addressed here. There's not a lot in terms of like tax breaks for rich people or like things like that. It, it's, it's you know, sort of boots on the ground money to try and make impact for people who need it most. And it was nice to see some taxes added to things like yeah. vaping and cigarettes, you know, things and that- And boats. Yeah, and yachts. <laughs> <laughs> and yachts, right? So, so there was some really, it, it felt like the, it felt like a people's budget. It was really, yes. really encouraging to see. And I think it was the right budget at the right time. Uh, so it was, it was helpful. So that's good. Well, and this has given voice to people who have felt unheard. So my tar- like the people I work with are working mothers. We're all caring for, you know, parents and children. And largely we have felt totally blindsided 
the scientific community has felt ignored. Women have felt ignored by our provincial government. And this, for the first time in over a year, I finally, like, I cried yesterday. I will be honest. I was like, thank you, someone, for telling me that someone cares about what we're going through, because that has not been the message from our conservative government here in Ontario. It was absolutely a very validating um, day for for many of us. So, um, Allison, you're such an outspoken advocate for women. You're tireless. I just I have mad respect for you. I really want people to be able to connect with you. Where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at this is moms at work uh, on Facebook uh, moms at work. And we have a moms at work group. And my website is this is moms at work dot com. So come and check it out. We've got a new advocacy page. Uh, so lots of exciting things happening around around my my uh, my website there okay incredible thank you so much allison we'll have you back again soon no, great thank you Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, you have a very exciting lineup this week. So let's start with what's new on Disney. (laughs) Disney Plus has The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's been on, but I got to tell you, the newest episode blew my mind. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I think it's been out there that Julia Louis-Dreyfus shows up. And it's, she is Countess Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. She may be the power broker. She may be the Russian agent, Madam Hydra. And she's probably going to be Nick Fury's love interest. So that is, just blew my mind. She's only on for a few seconds, but you're going, what? And I probably shouldn't have ruined the surprise, but there you go. Now, Captain America John Walker, played by uh, Wyatt Russell, who, as you know, is Goldie and and Kurt's uh, son. He's not having a very good time being Captain America. Um, It it is just so great. I love it. And of course, Zemo has something up his sleeves. Oh, and this young girl who's running that worldwide um, uh, anti-world order movement. She's really coming up in the series. All right. I, she's dangerous. I'm a huge Marvel fan. So uh, I, I am totally looking forward to this. So uh, what else do you have for us this week? Amazon uh, video has Stowaway, which is my favorite pick for the week. And it's a character study of uh, four characters. There are three astronauts sent out on a mission to Mars. It's going to take them two years to get there. They'll resupply and then come back to Earth because there's already a colony out there. Don't they discover an unconscious and injured man in the ceiling. So they now have four people in the ship. Yes. So, um, and he's a black man and it it all comes into the whole morality tale that develops here. They can't make the trip with four people. The whole, everything is calibrated to three people, the food, uh, water, oxygen supply. So they take on all kinds of risky maneuvers going out in space. And those space moments are just sensational. The heavy weight of the silence, you you get the feeling that you're experiencing what the astronauts may actually experience in real life. Um, so they try everything that they can. Tony Collette is the commander. She's awesome. Anna Kendrick's in it. I, I adore her. And uh, Daniel Day Kim. So it's a diverse cast 
but they face this question. You know that old story about lifeboat and someone's got to get out of the lifeboat. Who's it going to be? Right. Honestly, I was bawling my eyes out by the end of it. It is so complex and so beautiful. Perfect. So that stole away. Okay. And you said Cinema Toast is uh, oh. uh, hilarious? <laughs> Unreal. When I read the description of it, I thought, well, how are they going to do this? So what they do is they take public domain films, that is films they don't have to pay for, old films, old classics, like Jimmy Stewart and Carol Lombard. So they take the black and white uh, film and he and she are with her mother in a film called Eternally Yours, I think it was called. But they put in modern language. And it's like the mother says, don't give me that piece of it's just incredible, the, the imagination. And you have to wonder why something like this hasn't been done before. It's, so almost, like through, a, it's almost like the deep fakes that they can do, right? The, like the deep fakes. And it's so hysterically funny. And they've got Alison Breed, Nick Offerman, Fred Armisen, Dan Stevens, for heaven's sakes, Chris Maloney doing all these comic things. And there's something called Quiet Illness, which is an old Loretta. It's not an old Loretta Young film, but they use a Loretta Young film quiet illness so you see her like wearing flowing things and, and having a tissue and being all fragile and Elsa Brie voices that it's pretty outrageous uh, it's just stunningly original so much fun I really want to get to the last one because uh, um Dolly Parton I I'm sorry but I just I know you so love her beautiful. so yeah. let's yeah let's just talk about so this Tell me all about well, it. Well, it's a documentary on Dolly and she is so, she said, she opens it saying, you know, I, I know I look ridiculous. I know I look bizarre, but inside I'm real and I'm here for you. And that's her message. And that's the name of the documentary. And your heart just softens and softens. And it, it just feels so good to have someone so positive to look at. And they also have um, a, a, a few Dolly Parton things. But this is the newest. This uh, opened in on April 9th on Netflix. So get there. Go see Dolly. Yeah, she is, she is just a beautiful, beautiful soul. And obviously yeah. in this last year, we've even learned more wonderful things about her. So I'm really looking forward to that one. We can't get enough of Dolly. So uh, for That's all right. of these and more, people can go to whatshesaidtalk.com uh, to find out what to watch uh, as this third wave continues. And Anne, you'll be back next week with more. Much more. That's right. Thank you. See you then. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Build me up and I could do no wrong. I let down my guard. I fell into your arms. Forgot who I was. I didn't hear the alarms. Now I'm down. Finding love during COVID has presented its challenges, to say the least. Thankfully, we have Canada's dating coach here today. Chantelle Hyde's counterculture approach to dating is gaining traction as she teaches women how to use a see-where-it-goes, kiss-the-right-one approach instead of today's kiss-then-see-how-it-goes method that's causing so many unhappy relationships and breakups. But she doesn't stop there. Once you have the relationship established, Chantelle wants you armed with the skills to have a 100% 
fight-free relationship. Welcome to the show, Chantal. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I have to tell you, I found you on TikTok and you know what video I found you on? No kissing for three months. And I felt like I had failed my entire life with that one. So let's talk about it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so how, so tell me about that, where, how you came to this rule. I've been with my husband for 15 years, but we had our share breakups. We had 10 years of fighting and we, you know, I think it was like the first time we broke up and I was like, okay, you know, time to get back out there. I, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to get back there, but how am I going to date properly? I had done all the mistakes, my love. I, I came from an abusive mother. So of course I chose the abusive boyfriends and then I chose the cheaters, which was an upgrade from the abuse, kind of, sort of. I said to myself, how am I going to do this? And I read Steve Harvey's book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. And he talked about no benefits for three months. And I'm trying to remember if it was no kissing or no sex for three months. But it was it was hold off for three months because, listen, if your fence is too low, anybody can step over it. You have to have a high enough fence that the strong ones will prevail. And I was like, damn, this makes a whole lot of sense. And I ended up using it. I did date somebody, but we didn't kiss. And then my husband won me back. And then we fought for another number of years. And then we broke up again. And then I dated somebody again. And then he won me back. And I am in the most amazing relationship. And I realized that there were so many boyfriends that I had that if I had done a no kissing for three months dating rule, I never would have ended up with. And incidentally, my husband and I knew for each other for years before we started a relationship. And there was, so there's that aspect that knowing somebody, waiting, making sure that I was going to kiss the right one, put me in the right place. But I'm a social scientist by nature. And what I mean by nature, I mean by nature. I am curious about how we function. So social psychology, anthropology, biology is something that I devoured just because I like to. And so I took this a step further when I started doing my research and I was writing my books and I was like, this makes sense, but why? Why is it that when we as women start dating and we follow the cultural rule of kiss to see where it goes, that kiss locks us into someone we don't know. It makes us say no to anybody else who wants an opportunity. And so that's when I really started getting beyond the sociology, which is, you know, it's all our culture that dictates that we're kissing strangers and hoping that they're the right relationship. And I got into the biology of it and I started researching what are the chemicals that are produced in a kiss? And I realized they're the ones that make us stupid. Those chemicals that are produced in a kiss turn off the red flag alert and make us lose ourselves, lose our minds. And we go through a honeymoon period, yes, but a honeymoon period on crack where those red flags are going to show up, but we're not even going to see them. And it's because of phenylethylamine, which is what happens in a kiss. So it's, it's my journey that brought me here, but it's also my curiosity. I'm like in awe listening to you because it's all making sense. So how do women, do you feel that like women who go out on a date and they, do they announce this like on a first date? Hey, listen, there'll be no kissing for three months. And so I imagine the dating pool gets a lot smaller when they make that uh, share that, right? Do we want quality or do we want quantity? Absolutely. No, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yes. Uh, but and do you get that pushback fear. from women? Uh, I do because 
there's a fear culture going on, right? What women say is nobody's going to wait three months for a first kiss. And I go, and I did a book tour and I had women over and over again saying this to me when I showed them my book, No More Out. Nobody's going to wait three months for a first kiss. And I said, who told you that? Nobody explicitly said that because they never introduced the concept. But the reason why they're kissing on the first, second or third date is because they are afraid of losing the opportunity. Okay. I'm loving this. I'm sure women listening to this right now are, are loving it as well. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about fight-free relationships. So how do you teach women? Um, I'm, I'm assuming you might teach men this as well to have fight-free fight -free relationships. Well, here's the thing. Men already have a place in their brain called nothing. In addition to that, men, not guys. So guys are selfish short-term thinkers. Men are generous long-term thinkers. Men don't want conflict. This is why we complain that they don't talk. This is why we complain that we have to bring up the issues. And this is also why we complain that when we do bring up an issue, they pile on the 10 that they haven't been talking about. I teach women how to get into that nothing place that calms them. Candace, let me ask you this. You drive, right? I do. Do you ever zone out while you're driving? Your mind is completely somewhere else, but you're on autopilot still getting to your destination? Almost every time I drive, yes, absolutely autopilot. When you've done something often enough, your brain says, oh, you seem to like this. Let me do it for you. It does the same with stress, fear, and anxiety. Your amygdala is a ball inside your head that pulses every time you have a stress, fear, anxiety response. This is fight or flight. This is a part of your brain that releases stress. It, it releases cortisol and adrenaline. Let's go. And so we get an automatic response, but we assign it a story. And we okay. go, you made me feel this way. So when we start meditating and you shrink that part of your brain and you stop getting automatic responses, you literally reduce your fights by half. Now, the other half you're going to get rid of because you're going to understand gender differences, like the fact that men don't talk until you say, now we're going to talk about issues. And they go, oh, okay, well, now's the time. And we feel blown over like, hey, this was my time. So when you understand that gender difference and you go, okay, you know what? I can go second. Let me hear what you need to say so that you can hear what I'm going to say. Then those fights go out. That's another quarter of the fights. The last quarter happens when you try to bring something up and they get defensive. So I give you conflict resolution tools, how to start a conversation so he doesn't get defensive. So mm -hmm. when it comes to COVID, how has that changed? Has that changed any of your advice for people meeting new people? I've been saying this for years, the no kissing for three months dating rule. And I see all these other dating coaches poo-pooing me. And now COVID hit and we have to date virtually. I've read that um, the courtship is back because of this. People actually have to get to know each other. Um, and that seems like a, a big trend. And I'm putting that in quotes when it really should. It's just the way it should be. Okay. So do you also are on TikTok regularly and you've amassed quite a following there. When did you start there? January of last year. And, and so is that bringing you a whole new, like, what kind of feedback do you get there? It's incredible. And it, I, I got to say joy, like absolute joy, because the 20 somethings are leaning in. And it's, it's really cute because in the beginning, when I was talking about no kissing for three months, it was a lot of pushback. Now in the comments, they're defending it to the people who are pushing back. So millennials, Generation Z, Everybody is coming into this because it just makes sense. 
Yeah, it really does. And I've, I've loved chatting with you. So if people want to connect with you, uh, find you in various places, where can they do that? I am Canada's dating coach everywhere. My website, canadasdatingcoach.com, on TikTok, Instagram, Canada's Dating Coach. On Twitter, that's the only exception because it's too many letters. So it's the Chantal Hyde on Twitter. Um, but just Google Canada's Dating Coach and you will find my podcast, my YouTube channel, absolutely everything. I have so much free information, by the way, um, over 3000 TikToks. I, again, so many interviews on my podcast and YouTube channel that really enlighten and bring to life the lessons that I teach. I love it. And as you say, there's nothing in it that you haven't done yourself. So I think that that will resonate with people. So thank you, Chantel, for joining me today. This was a delight. Thank you. School has long been a place for children that provides much needed structure and routine. That is until this last year, and the constant now you're in, now you're out is about the only routine we can rely on. With no certainty of even the next school year returning to pre-pandemic structure, I thought it might be good to check in with Stephanie Sewell, who has been a calm, reassuring voice for us all during these tumultuous times in education. An independent education consultant, Stephanie works with families who are seeking guidance and believes that each young person deserves and is capable of co-creating an educational path that works for them. Today, we're going to talk about creating some calm in the chaos. Welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks, Candace. It's great to be here with you again. We were discussing just before we started this interview how upsetting this must be for children, you know, this constant in and out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really hard. You know, for little children in particular who just don't understand what's happening, it's really tough. So as I reflected on what to share on this topic this morning, it really occurs to me that we need to focus on what underpins normalcy in school life and how we can recreate that at home. So some of the things I would think about there are things like routines and rhythms of the day, of the week. How often are we together with our kids? How often do they have time away from us and we from them? Some of those things we can recreate or reimagine in our home context to help everybody to adjust to home learning times. And staying within those boundaries once you create them, right? So, you know, um, one of the things you, you talk about is that, the, you know, there can be this too much togetherness. We were getting these breaks from each other, right? School, work, now school, work, and family time is all intermingled. And sometimes there's no, it's hard to tell where one ends and one begins. Absolutely. So I think that we can help that a lot by, first of all, by recognizing it. You know, with my teens, we've sat down and said, we're together all the time. And that's not what it's supposed to be like. And that can be really hard. So what are the little things you can shift? Um, for my teen daughter, it was driving her nuts that we were always there when she was making her lunch. So my husband and I have made a point of not being in the kitchen during her lunch hour. And that's helped. It gives her that space in the day to decompose from her classes and not be interrogated by her parents about how her life is going. That idea of creating that time. Um, also for parents of younger children, what can you do to give yourself a break from being in mom mode or assisting teacher mode? 
is there somebody that can come and be with your child in person, outdoors, um, or inside, depending on where you're living, there are different rules, but is there somebody who can come and be with your child for a couple of hours? So you know that you can go out or go to your room and just have some quiet time. Can you do something like that online? Can you set a regular time with the children's grandparents for them to read them a story after lunch every day? And these rhythms and routines help not just because of what we get during that time, but because we can anticipate it. So much right now we can't anticipate. You honestly, you, you honestly gave me a little bit of a, a hard emotion there for a second with the grandparents, because that's been very difficult. And you just really addressed a lot of issues there in one uh, routine, uh, you know, connecting with grandparents who are feeling very lonely and very isolated from their grandchildren, giving grandchildren that connection and giving mom a break. I mean, that's brilliant. I hope everybody <laughs> who's, who's, uh, you know, grandparents are, are in the picture will actually jump onto this one. Cause I think that is, that's a fabulous, fabulous one. Uh, let's quickly, we have a couple of minutes left. I just, I really want to talk about the expectations that we're play, we're placing on kids in terms of educational success. For sure. Does that ever look different now than it normally does? <laughs> hey, <laughs> and there, you know, the, the thing I talk about a lot is own your learning. So I think this is really a time to do that. We need to um, let our kids know not only that things are different and their own expectations of themselves for academic success can and should be adjusted as a result. But we need, it's an opportunity for us to re-examine what academic success or school success looks like. So for example, if you, um, if your child is finding online is a lot and whatever, you're looking at creating a different solution. Well, you know, maybe there's a community garden in your in your neighborhood and you could actually commit an hour a day or whatever to going into that garden and starting to plant the seeds and explaining to your school that your child will be doing that, they can then say, okay, well, how can this be incorporated into what we're thinking of as their curriculum? So is there some flexibility like that that you can create? Often it's simply a question of sitting down and communicating with the child's teacher and seeing what you can do that meets everybody's needs. Yeah, I think it's important to note that people have to realize the schools are being flexible as well. They are there to help and accommodate, <clears throat> excuse me, so have those conversations with them because they are willing to say, yes, actually, you can incorporate that learning into this course and it will count as credit towards it. So definitely have those conversations. For sure. And to recognize that it's important to, to think of what works for both parties. Because if a teacher is trying to create community within a class and some people are kind of in and out a lot, that can, that can stress the community a little bit. So you do, you do need to listen as much as propose ideas. But there have been so many examples of people who've created flexible ways for their kids to engage that have really helped with their mental health. Okay, Stephanie, I want people to be able to connect with you because I think, again, I think you're wonderful and I think you really do bring a wonderful, calming perspective to all of this. So how can people connect with you? So I'm on Facebook at Stephanie Sewell Education and I'm also on the web at stephaniesewell.ca. Okay, and I'm Sewell is S-E-W-E-L-L -L for anybody listening right now. Exactly, yep. Okay, thank you so much, Stephanie. We'll have you get back again soon. My pleasure, Candace. Take care, everybody. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Corners, 
This pandemic has shone a bright light on many disparities in this world, one of which is physical fitness. It's all well and good if you can order a $2,000 bike to your home and maintain a monthly membership, but why should the pursuit of health be costly? My next guest is the owner of Reflective Fitness, and she is looking to disrupt the industry with her pay-what-you-can model. Sharon DeVellis decided to take up speed skating at 41, which led to triathlons, which she needed to learn how to swim for, which led to her eventual certification as a personal trainer. Sharon believes fitness classes should be accessible to all and joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thanks for having me, Candace. Uh, so how did you come up with this model? It's really, it's unique. 2020 helped me come up with the model. Um, along with so many other people, there were job losses in our family, including myself for a while. And, you know, the financial insecurity. Um, and everybody talks about, you know, we have to take care of our health, our physical well-being, our mental well-being. And a lot of people lost that. A lot of gyms had to go online. A lot of personal trainers had to go online. And they pivoted quite quickly. And a lot of people were doing it for free to begin with, which made it accessible to everybody. But then, obviously, people need to make a living and started charging more for the virtual classes. And it just became apparent to me that even that was becoming out of reach for many people who just could not afford it due to the pandemic or just due to their own lives. So I knew I wanted to start up an outdoor fitness class and being outdoors is very important to me. Being in nature is really important to me. So it had to be outdoors and it also had to be outdoors just due to all the restrictions that were coming into effect. And, you know, I'm in Ontario, so it's been a lot of like moving forward and then three steps back again. So we're, we're in a lockdown and then we're out of a lockdown and then we're back in a lockdown. So I knew it had to be outdoors. Um, and the third reason is I live across the street from a community center where once a week they have a food bank and it's packed. And these are people who can't afford to put meals on the table. How are they gonna afford taking care of their physical selves? So, I was going back and forth with my husband and my family because I was going to charge a certain amount for it and I just didn't feel right. And I approached them and said, I have this idea. It's probably going to make me no money whatsoever, but it will really help the community. And that's how Pay What You Can started. Well, I like the idea of it too, because there's also an aspect where you have that people can also pay it forward and pay for classes for other people as well, right? Yes. And so the big thing is people aren't donating. I'm still a for-profit business. So I'm always very clear about that. But yes, like we live and I happen to live in a community that has um, a lot of affluent people and a lot of people who do need things like the food banks. So my hope was that um, the people who could afford to pay a regular price for a class would, or maybe even more, in hopes that it would allow the people who can afford to pay to also attend. Um, and the reception was fantastic to it. Yeah, I think it's important to note that, you know, people, uh, fitness in particular is something that we shouldn't be, um, have a lot of 
I guess, classism around. It's really uh, a right to be able to work out, right? And and we look, we see these things are so expensive and everybody wants it. And it's, we're losing the plot. The plot is to move your body. Exactly. And also just to have that community as well. It's very hard to um, have that self-motivation when you're by yourself, locked in your house. I mean, I'm a trainer and I have a hard time. I had a hard time like during the first half of the pandemic and I wasn't moving a lot. Um, and now I'm back at it again. But if I'm having a hard time, then probably I'm assuming a lot of other people are also having a hard time. Uh, the second thing I did with this class is to alleviate the cost of having equipment. We're not allowed to share equipment. So I couldn't set it up where we were doing circuits with all of my equipment. Um, and just even dumbbells, the price of dumbbells is crazy through the roof, if you can find them. So all the classes are based on body weight and bands, which I supply. So uh, totally accessible. And it's, I think it's a brilliant model. I think it's going to be wildly successful. So if people want to reach out to you because you're not across the country, you're, you're very local, but you want people to jump in on this. So if people want to reach out to you and find out how you're doing it, how can they contact you? So they can email me, um, Sharon at reflectivefitness.com. There's a dash between reflective and fitness. I have a Facebook page, Reflective Fitness, um, and they can message me or email me anytime. I'd love to see other people set up similar uh, fitness classes where it makes it accessible to everybody. I hope they do. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sharon. Thank you, Candace. Have a good day. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.